0: Hi, this is Michelle Weidenbener, your Chief Hope Builder. I am the author of Moms Letting Go Without Giving Up Seven Steps to Self Recovery. You can download that for free at momslettinggo.com. Welcome to the podcast that will help you feel at least 15% better. Feel free to join our Facebook private group, Moms Letting Go. Also, And surround yourself with other moms who understand your pain. If you would like to take your journey into a deeper accountability and recovery for yourself, join us at momslettinggo.teachable.com where we have a subscription membership. We have a tribe of moms who are all together together in support groups and coaching and we study together and grow together and we are going to write a book together so that we can help other moms come into recovery with hope and determination and a way to find their own identity and recapture their purpose that they lose in the throes of dealing with an addicted loved one. If you find this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave us a review because that's how other moms will be able to find us too. God bless. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today we have Jesse Harless. He is an author of several books, but he doesn't hold back on his new book, If Not You, Then Who?, He shares the story behind his battle with addiction. His journey, which began when he found himself standing in front of a judge as an opioid addict facing narcotics possession charges at the age of 22 taught him the importance of not just sobriety, but of finding recovery. Today's Jesse's mission is to change the addiction and mental health recovery world one conversation at a time through Entrepreneurs in Recovery. As a leader in his space, Jesse facilitates high experiential online and in-person training that helps individuals and organizations deepen connections, harness their strengths, elevate purpose, and establish safety. Welcome, Jesse Harless.
1: Hey, <laughs> hey, everyone. So, hey Michelle, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here.
0: When I, when I first met Jesse, I was on Google trying to find an addiction recovery coach for my son who had been in recovery for a year. And it was like, I could tell he was stuck. He was like, okay, I'm sober. Now what? Right. And so it was a God moment that somehow I got connected to Jesse and just really felt a connection with him so much so that um, he he just totally sold me on his entrepreneurs in recovery because we are all entrepreneurs of our own lives and we all have some kind of a issue addiction if you will problem that we have to recover from and so I trained with Jesse and then I was able to um, learn how to bring resiliency into Um, jails into this group. So moms of addicted loved ones um, have actually probably not realizing it been through uh, a few of your programs, Jesse. So um, anyway, um, thank you so much for spending time with us today because I know that there is so much that we could benefit from what you have to share with us. Um, So Just to start with, can you tell us a little bit about your um, journey as, as somebody who thought you were going to be stuck and what that was like, your journey before you decided to become recovered?
1: Sure. Absolutely. Well, it's nice to see you all. It's nice to see you, Renee, Brooke, and Sandy. Thank you all for showing up. And yeah, so what it was like, I mean... I like to start with where I was uh, when I was four, because many times with addiction recovery, what ends up happening is we miss out. We miss out pieces of trauma, and people think that trauma is this. Um, can be this moment of extreme pain or abuse, or and, and it, it definitely can be, but it also can be things that are less subtle, and. What I'm about to share is not, you know, it's not like this wasn't um, trauma. But but I'm gonna kind of walk you through kind of what happened, and maybe you can see it in a different light. So when I was four, my father, who was an alcoholic and he was also addicted to cocaine, at four years old he left. And when he left, he um, well he didn't he didn't just leave. My mom kicked him out because he had relapsed. He had tried AA. He had relapsed, and he had lost his job at the post office. And so. He, um, he was in a car accident and had permanent brain damage. He was in a coma for 22 days. And I lost my dad at four. He didn't die, but I didn't see him again after that. So what ended up happening is at that age, I had this belief, or I had this, let's say, trauma of abandonment. So even at four years old, subconsciously, I had this belief that if you got close to me or if you were in my life, you were going to abandon me. Uh-huh. And so... What ended up happening is that would play out all the way into adulthood because a lot of us in our adult lives are actually operating from the wounded self based off things that happen in childhood. And some of us turn to drugs and alcohol, which is what people think addiction is, you know, maybe gambling or sex or porn, but that's not what addiction is. Addiction is really any behavior that you do repeatedly that causes negative consequences. So addiction is very open to all of us. Um, but just some of us turn to numb out with drugs and alcohol. So we see that maybe the most as what addiction is. So at four, when he left, I had this belief of abandonment. And at 11, I'm just going to like give you the highest level of the story. Yeah. At 11, uh, what happened is my best friend ended up moving away. So I had this best friend. We did everything together and he moved away. And, and guess what that was? That was re-triggering that trauma of abandonment. And what, I did, I, what did I do to respond? I numbed out. And I say I say this that my first drug was fantasy, because as soon as my friend left, I started to spend forty six hours a night on the computer with internet games and high sp- and, and internet pornography. And this went on for years and years and years. So the journey didn't start with drugs and alcohol. The journey started with pain and trauma. Yeah, and so and then it went to addiction to internet games and internet porn and the internet. And then eventually, there was a fertile ground for me to continue to numb myself, which many of us do in different ways. Some do it with food, some do it with negative thinking, some do it with power. Mm-hmm. But for me, you know, it was this course that led me to eventually picking up alcohol, drugs, and using that as my main way to numb out until I was arrested at 22. And that's really when things started to turn around because I was facing seven years in federal prison, or in other words, spending, all of my twenties in federal prison. And so that's kind of when, and I'll, I'll kind of stop there, but that's kind of when things started to change.
0: Wow. What a story. Well, you're an inspiration to so many because uh, so many of our um, loved ones are are at that place and um, we don't know how to help them with their trauma. You know, they have their adults, you know, uh, right now and they have their own journey, but moms always want to figure out, you know, what is that? how can we best help them through that trauma? And sometimes moms even, you know, harbor the guilt thinking that they're the ones who caused the trauma. Um, I'm going to back up just a minute, because I, I love the title of your book, If Not You, Then Who? Can you tell me where you, how did you come up with the title of that book? And how is it relevant?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking that question. You're only the second person to ask that question. And it's actually a pretty cool story. So what happened was during COVID of last year, well, actually, let me back up a little further. Um, In 2019, I set out to facilitate at sober living residences and treatment centers and drug courts and even companies. And I was working with a local treatment center here in New Hampshire called Avenues Recovery Center. And the CEO brought me in to run my workshops which is what i've trained michelle in a few of these workshops i ran these workshops at a a 28-day treatment center which is now a a 90-day treatment center and so the ceo we built this relationship and one day i went in his office i said to him hey you know ryan what are you up to and he's like you know jess i'm really looking to build as many sober homes as i can in new hampshire and really bring sober living because this 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 is a big this is a big um missing link to why we have um, the epidemic we have is people don't have a place to go. You know, when people find recovery, if they even find it, where do they get to go? And a lot of times having a recovery bubble or recovery housing is really, really effective. And we we have a a lack of that. So this, this CEO said, my vision is to have this many sober homes by this state. And I just said to him, I said, you know what, Ryan, I'm sure I said a few other things before that, but I said, you know what, Ryan, if not you, then who? If you're not the one that's going to do it, no one's coming to save us. We need it to be you. And I could tell in that moment that I had struck a chord. And obviously those words came from God. They didn't come from me. It was just came right into me. And so he didn't tell me this, but last year, so this is in 2019, the beginning of 2019, last year in 2020, he hired me to work with his staff because COVID was a very, very difficult, challenging time for frontline workers and mental health counselors and addiction counselors. So he brought me into his treatment center with 24 people and I ran a building resilience workshop. At the end of the workshop, he pulled me aside and said, hey, um, I just wanna let you know, you know, you said these words to me um, a little while back and I wanna let you know I've opened up multiple sober homes since then. And oh. he has, he's opened up, it's called Live Free. Here in new hampshire and he's opened up multiple uh, sober living facilities which are beautiful and he said you said said to me these words if not you then who and i actually printed out those words and put them right up in my office so every day i'd look up and i'd see if not you then who and as soon as he said i was in the middle of writing my book when he told me this and i'm like oh my god ryan that's the title that's the title of my book and so that's actually how it happened
0: what a great story and you know what it's kind of like what I tell all my moms, okay, you guys, if not us, then who, like, who's going to be more an advocate for the children, for our children than we are like, and anyway, so yeah, I, I love that. And it's just such a good example of how you don't always know how your words are going to affect somebody and empower them. Um, so thank you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So, um, Boy, that's, that's great. I'm sure you, you felt pretty good about that too. Yeah. Um, So in the book, you recommend that every single person work on his or her recovery. Um, And obviously this applies to moms of addicted loved ones too. You write about the fears recovery toolkit. So the F, the E, the A, the R all stand for one thing, and so fear is focus on recovery. E is elevate your recovery. A is resilience in recovery. Oops, I got uh, appreciate your recovery, and R is resilience in recovery. So
1: and there's I'm, there's one more to self care and recovery.
0: Okay, self care recovery, and we're we're doing that ac- actually today in our own support group today, right after this call. So um, yeah, we understand self care and how important it is, but. I, I know there's so much in the book and, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute, but can you share maybe just one, one of those acronyms, you know, the F, the E, the A, I know they're all important, but can you share one with us?
1: Yeah. Which one would you like to, me to go through? I mean, how about I just start with the first one? So okay. the first one, everything is intentional. This fears recovery toolkit, isn't some marketing ploy for me to become this really big Tony Robbins and recovery person. Not at all. I've been in recovery for fifteen years. I've lost family members. I've lost friends. Everything you could imagine to overdose, to suicide, and I always ask myself, "What is it that I could have done?" And it's not that I'm trying to be a martyr or some savior. I just realized, with all the recovery experience I have, with all the con- I've had thousands and thousands of conversations with people in recovery. I literally talk to people in recovery every day, all day. So I asked myself, "What did I do, and what did I learn from others that they did?" that helped for long-term sustainable recovery. I'm not talking short-term spin-dry cycle and you're right back in the system again. I'm talking long-term effective recovery. So I spent lots of money to learn from many mentors and do many, many things myself for over a decade to overcome severe anxiety, panic disorder, because we don't just have addiction. That's, 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 that's the solution to numb out. We have underlying causes and conditions. We have mental health conditions. We have things that we have to deal with. So how do we attack or tackle all of these things? So this fears recovery toolkit is the ultimate wellness toolkit and it's wellness for specifically people in addiction and mental health recovery. So it's not just addiction, it's mental health because I studied mental health for 10 years to be really understanding because of my severe anxiety. So focus on your recovery is writing down your recovery priorities every day, no matter You might do it the night before, or you might do it when you wake up in the morning, but every day you're gonna grab a to-do list, whether it's in your phone, which I don't recommend. I actually recommend you write it down physically. You buy a daily planner. Yeah, because something happens in our brain. That's why journaling, which is another part of my process. Journaling, I've been doing for 15 years because there's something that happens therapeutically, healing, that's how I was able to write my books. You know, I had these 15 years of journals to refer to, and that's also integrity. So I can go back and look and say, wow, this is what happened to me because we, we forget the progress we've made. So, so focus on your recovery is really three steps. Focus on your recovery is write write it down. So make write down your recovery priorities first. So before you even write in your calendar, like, oh, I have to pick up groceries. I have to pick up my daughter. I mean, you're going to write down your recovery first. You're going to write down okay i'm going to do yoga at this time i'm going to go to this meeting at this time i'm going to talk to my therapist at this time whatever is a priority for your recovery because recovery is holistic so everyone has a different version of recovery so that's the first step the second step is your recovery team and when i say recovery team i'm not talking about people who go to aa i mean everyone everyone needs a support team a support tribe whatever you want to call it your dream team (laughs) And that can include God, it can include your dog. But what's really important is that it includes people that support your recovery no matter what, that allow you to be your authentic self and a safe, you you have safety with this person. You can share anything and they're not affected. So it's probably not your mother. It's probably not the people who you think. So you, you wanna be able to find these people, five of them, but you can start with one. In the beginning, when I first got into recovery, it was my probation officer. It was my mother, it was my brother, it was my temporary sponsor, and a mentor who was a pastor. Those are my recovery team. Today, that's not none of those people on my recovery I have a whole new recovery team because we continue to evolve. And today my recovery team is entrepreneurs in recovery. Those are the people on my recovery team. So that keeps, and then the third part is purpose. I'm telling you right now, for long-term sustainable recovery, if you don't have a purpose or a will to live, you will lose your recovery eventually. Your purpose doesn't have to be some existential idea. It could be as simple as my purpose is to, my purpose is to have health and wellness every single day. That could be your purpose. Or my purpose is to be in recovery. But you, but without a purpose, you lose hope, you lose the why. So that's the three elements of focus on your recovery. And I lay that out in that first part of how to actually come up with a purpose statement. So, you actually have a statement that you say, which is like a mantra. So, you're reminded every day, This is why I'm doing this. I'm doing it for my daughter. I'm doing it because eventually you'll do it for yourself. But in the beginning, you might have to do it for your son, your daughter,
0: yeah.
1: not to go to prison, whatever it is. And for me, in the beginning of my recovery, it was to not go to prison. That first year, my purpose was not to go to prison. It wasn't to stay in recovery, it was to not go to prison. Eventually, it became Wow my purpose is to finish school. My purpose is you know so love that. yeah, yeah so We talk about it.
0: We talk about it as a boon, right And so your boons are always changing but I like purpose makes it sound different in that um, it's a little it's a little less broad. Um and I, I love how you shared how that can change, but it made me curious. So you know how you talked about your team being this and then transitioning. Um did you did you just one day realize, oh, I need a new team, or was it just a gradual thing where you just started meeting people and asking them to be on your team?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's just it's just it's just common, it's just intuitive, right? It okay. just it just happens like people, people go away in your life and new people show up. And so that's how it is. And, and that's how like these new members would show up in my life as, you know, we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. So that is really, really important. So I had to keep thinking like, who are these top five people that I can go to? And I, it's not even a thinking thing. That's the problem. We're in our minds too much. It's not even a thinking, it's a heart thing. Just feeling into my heart. Who are these five people that have my back no matter what?
0: Yeah, Great. Um, You have a lot of quotes in your book, too. One of the quotes was, not only is recovery possible, it will bring you to places you can only imagine. So in in your boon and and what you want to do, where do you want to go next with what you're doing?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Well, COVID-19 really disrupted a lot of the plans that I had originally thought, and that's good. It just it what it did it 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 caused me to pivot, and the beautiful part about the pivot it caused me to do a lot of internal work or shadow work, and so it actually brought me closer to my creator, brought me closer to relationships, it brought me closer to my neighbors. That's how much healing I end up doing. I also wrote my book in twenty twenty. So if it wasn't for COVID nineteen, if not you, then who wasn't going to get written? So it's all a great gift. But where I'm heading now is I'm going to take what I have built with that training that had built, that you had gone through, and I'm going to take a lot more people through that because now I have um, exchange behind me and I have some some powerful players of facilitation behind me to do that. So the next phase is is teaching people how to become an entrepreneur of their recovery. And they don't even have to be entrepreneurs. They can just be facilitators and learn how to speak to groups of people in the most powerful, effective way, which is with psychological safety.
0: With psychological safety. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's so important. Just those three words (laughs) with psychological safety. Yeah, we have to feel safe in order to open up, no doubt. Um, Let's see. So here's another quote. Surround yourself with people who remind you more of your future than your past. So I guess maybe I've already asked this. Who did you surround yourself with when you first began to recover? And you did, you answered that. Um, and maybe, I, I don't know what, for us personally, moms of addicted loved ones, um, we, I'm always trying to help us surround ourselves with those truth tellers, but positive other moms who understand the pain and who, like you said, we can feel psychologically safe around so that we open up. But are there any other like, types of, um, or are there any other people that you would recommend moms of addicted loved ones surrounding themselves with?
1: Well, let me explain too that a recovery team is different than mentors. Okay. This is really important. So a recovery team are people that I can pick my phone up and text right now. That's recovery team. Okay. Mentors is that quote you just said. And Dan Sullivan is one of those mentors. That was his quote. So in Elevate Your Recovery, I talk about who are your three to five mentors. And mentors can be dead, they can be alive, they can be, you know, some people's mentor is Wayne Dyer, Carl Young, you know, whoever, whatever it is for them. But some people's mentors they do have access to. And those, those mentors, you know, I talk about adding value to them. So what I recommend is, you know, so the recovery team is very specific and it's life and death actually. That, not having a recovery team can be the difference of life and death. I've seen this over and over again, not having people that are in your corner, that when those dark, that darkness hits, you need to be able to share that. That weird stuff that happens in our psyche, we need to be able to share that with someone. So the mentors, though, is people like, let's talk about Hal Elrod, right? So he was someone who showed up in my life in 2016. He wrote an amazing book called The Miracle Morning. And that person, as soon as I met him, I knew when I looked at him, I said, this is a person I need to learn more about and stay close to. So he became one of my main mentors, and I did everything I could to stay close to him and, you know, add value to him so I could stay around him. But I have mentors, too, that I read every day that are not alive. So, you know, mentors. So you really want to find people who speak to your heart. What makes your heart sing? Like when you read, maybe for you, it's like reading books. Uh, an author that you just love and you love their words, like that could be a mentor of yours. Um, but for me, mentors are also people that I also can add value to so that one day I can be talking to them and maybe working directly with them. And, and fortunately I've had the opportunity to work with Hal and different people uh, that, so that I've had mentors.
0: I think Hal Elrad was one of the the books that I read years ago, were there letters that somebody wrote from prison. Am I confusing him with somebody else? Um, I guess twofold question, who is Hal, Hal Elrod? What I know you just mentioned is one book. Did he write another one though before that?
1: Um, well, he's written a couple books and the biggest one that he's written was The Miracle Morning. That one, he has over 300,000 people in his Facebook group. So it's huge. I mean, it's a huge worldwide movement. Um, but he wrote another book, um, recently, it's it's escaping me, but, um, yeah, so it's, I'll
0: look him up, but yeah. So when you said like he became your mentor and you wanted to, to bring him value specifically, what kind of things then did you do for him in order to, um, really study him better? Because, you are the second person just today who told me that Dan Sullivan is their mentor. And so I'm starting to listen to like, Hmm, so how, how do you find those mentors and, um, get them not to notice you, but just to want to pour into your life so that you can continue to grow. I know you don't look at it that way. You look at how can you serve them? So what specifically do, do you do for Hal?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, So one of the ways that you can add value to people. So let's, let's get, I'll give you the Hal example from when I met him to today. So I read Hal's book in 2015. So I, I add value. I added value by buying his book and reading it. So that's the first step. I read his book and I said, whoa, this book is going to change my life. And so I started to do the practices in the book and I joined his, his community. So then in his community, he said he was running an event in Chicago and that was way out of my comfort zone. So that's another part of this is getting out of your comfort zone. So I was like, man, I'm going to go to Chicago and I'm going to meet Hal like this for a three-day event. This is out of my comfort zone. I did it anyways. I just signed up.
0: Well done.
1: Yeah. So then I went to Chicago and I had an opportunity as I waited in line to talk to Hal to actually talk to Hal. And I had only one minute to say what I needed to say to him. And I said exactly what I wanted to say. And so- it for was. Minute, do you well, remember? Yeah. <laughs> I said to Hal, I said, Hal, your book is gonna be a powerful force for good in the addiction and mental health community, if you didn't already know that. I'm sharing your book with all of my friends, which caused a ripple here in New England and New Hampshire after I shared that book with many, many people. And I said, I don't know if you know this, but and he actually looked at me and said, Jess, you know what's funny about that? Amazon put my book in the substance abuse section of their warehouse. And it's not a book on substance abuse. And so guess what happened? So this is gonna be a fun story. So then I said, okay. And so what I did is he had this event coming up in San Diego and I'm like, I'm gonna sign up for this event. So I went to this event, I sat as an audience member. It was very life transforming. And I said to myself, I'm gonna speak at this event someday. This is the end of 2017. I said, I'm gonna speak, Oh no, this is the end of uh, 2016. I'm gonna speak at this event someday. You know what I did? I joined Hal's Mastermind. I, didn't, I couldn't even afford it. I did it anyways. I found the money. I split it with my friend. We joined his mastermind, and I said, I'm going to leave my job. I'm going to speak at this event. I'm going to do all this stuff, and that exact happened. I spoke on his stage twice now. I spoke on his stage in 2017. Now, is that going to happen for everyone? No, but I was so determined, and I was so blown away by the synchronicities of this of this situation. And I want to share this one aspect. I told Hal. I said, Hal? Oh yeah, by the way, after I met him in that first event, I went to my best friend, who's been my best friend for 12 years of recovery, and I said, let's write the book, The Miracle Morning for Addiction Recovery, together and pitch it to Hal and see what he says. We pitched it to Hal, and Hal said, I'm glad you said that. We're thinking about writing that, so send me your proposal. We sent the proposal to him, and he said, hey, Jess, I have the voicemail saved on my phone still. He said, Jess, we're not gonna be able to have you and Pete write it, but we're going to have Joe Polish and Anna David write it, who are big time names in the spaces of like entrepreneurship and addiction recovery. And he says, but we're going to feature your stories in the book because it was your idea. So the miracle morning for addiction recovery came out. And so that is in a direct, yeah. the, the reason it came out is because of me and my friend Pete. So oh. it's, so, so this is why when I say things, I'm not just saying it to fill people with hope. I'm doing it because it's real right. and I've watched it happen for others. And so this is, so, so yeah, it gives me a lot of hope. That's why I do, that's why I get out of bed in the morning. Cause I'm not just getting up going, where am I? It's I have a direction cause I see it working and. Um,
0: wow, it's powerful. Wow. That is, yeah. I, I think I want you as my mentor. <laughs> I'm just saying that right <laughs> now, <laughs> I think well, you already are. <laughs> um, okay, so let me see another question here. Um, Another quote, if you read good books every morning, visualize and strategize your goals and write your insights in your journal, you'll have an amazing life. That was Dr. Benjamin Hardy. So my question to you is which books have you found to be the most helpful in your life? And I know you just mentioned one already by Hal, but any others?
1: wow yeah there's a lot i'm a reader i I don't know Um, how to put it i I read hundreds of books i just love reading so like some books though i read like eight times and a lot of people don't hear that because or they don't they don't know that they should do that but i recommend if you have a book that's really changed your life read it many times and it becomes part of you and so like miracle morning was was a big one but another one was the untethered soul and i really needed to read that book like eight to 10 times and actually I listened to it on audio eight to 10 times to really understand what Michael Singer was saying. And so that opened the paradigm up for other books. If I didn't start with that book, I couldn't have opened up to other books. So that one really helped me. Um, So that was a big one. Um, I'm an empath. So if you don't know what that means, I'm I'm a highly sensitive person. I've been a highly sensitive person since I was a child and I'm also very intuitive. And so instead of like, I used to numb all these things out, by the way, when my intuition would tell me something about someone, I would just numb it out. So I don't do that anymore. I honor my intuition 100%. So I really like Dr. Judith Orloff's books. She has a book called Thriving as an Empath. Very powerful book from someone like me. So that's, um, that's another one I'm currently still working. I've already read it, but I'm you know, rereading it. Um, oh, maybe, maybe, like maybe one more. Do you want one more? Or sure. Good? Yeah. Okay, um, if you don't have it, that's okay. We can go
0: on to the next one. So
1: Well, do you want to know one? Do you want to hear one about entrepreneurship? The one my sure, yeah. this is a secret one people don't know about that is the most important entrepreneur book I've ever read in my life. And it's 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 such a profound book that like, I don't even like, I, I just don't even know how to describe it. But here's what it's called, how the best get better by Dan Sullivan, how the best get better. That book is 30 pages long, and there's not a more powerful book that I've ever read about entrepreneurship.
0: Wow. That was Dan Sullivan again, right? You said that? How the best get better. Oh, wow. Okay. I, these, these are great. Okay. Um, I'm going to be d- getting those and reading those books. Um, let's see. Every day, ask yourself this question. What one thing can I do, no matter how small that would help elevate my recovery. That was one of your quotes. So what are a few examples of things that you've done to elevate your recovery? I think you've shared some of those, but you can share others. And then is, is there something that you can recommend moms of addicted loved ones do to elevate their re- recovery too?
1: Yeah, so to elevate my recovery, I mean, I'm someone who I, I like I like routines. So I like morning routines and I like nighttime routines. So like to elevate my life every day, you know, Hal says this, how you start your day is how you create your life because your day is your life. So when I start my day right in the morning, it sets the tone for the entire day. Do you make your bed? I do. I do. Yes, I I do. And I, by the way, this is all in my book. So if you buy the book, if not you, then who, I literally tell you exactly what I do. And And that's why I'm
0: bringing it up. So
1: yeah. 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 So, so that's kind of how I elevate my life is daily is by having a morning and a nighttime routine that works for me. And it keeps evolving as I talk to more people who give me interesting ideas. Um, and so as far as moms elevating, you know, you got to understand I grew up without a dad and I didn't have a replacement dad. There was no, my mom didn't date anyone else. So she's been single for over 30 years, 40 years. And so I, I was raised by my mother. So, you know, it's just me and my mom. And, um, so that's, that can be challenging too, right? Having um, that dynamic where the mom has to play the feminine and the masculine mm-hmm. your whole life. And so that, that's it's a challenging thing. So I have two older brothers who have a different father too. So there's a lot of interesting dynamics. Mm-hmm. And my mother was abused by my brother's father, severe domestic violence. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of like different pathways that, of trauma that happened and that gets passed down to the children. So Okay, so um, my, my, the way to elevate yourself is to do the self-care yourself, is to learn about yourself being someone who's also wounded. Every human is wounded. And once you acknowledge that your feelings are valid and that you can sit with your feelings and feel the feelings and take responsibility for your feelings, you'll realize that even though the person outside of you you think is affecting you, it's actually you affecting you because you're not taking responsibility for your feelings. And yeah. it's a hard thing to say, but I'm telling you, once you start to do that and feel your feelings the whole way, you will start to forgive even the addict around you that continues to do what they are gonna do anyways. So it's, 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 it's not easy to accept that, but that is something that even I have to do with people in my life because I've been in recovery 15 years now. I'm not this addict felon on the run, like I'm very, very in a good spot. So it's not that I'm perfect. It's not that I'm fully recovered. I'll never have addiction and watch but I don't live like that. In fact, I've got to a place now where self-care is such a priority. I help people, I, I coach more people who are not in recovery than are in recovery. Why? Um, because everyone needs recovery. And, and, and what I mean by that is by, from their poor habits or bad habits, from the thinking that keeps them stuck, from the addiction to unhappiness, codependency, all these other things that really keep us stuck. So mm. really going through the process of feeling your feelings the whole way. Don't let them get stuck. Don't try to control. Don't try to protect. Don't try to avoid. It's very hard. It's very painful. But that process helps you to have extreme compassion for people, even when it's really difficult. So that's that's going to be what I'm going <laughs> to leave you with. Good,
0: good, to I I just um, listened to uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf's um, podcast the other day, and I'm going to be sharing it in our our group uh, with what to do with depression and worry. The number one thing, the first thing that you have to do is like what you said is you have to be aware that you have that feeling first and allow yourself to have that feeling and that, you know, kind of analyze that feeling instead of just burying it. Um which which podcast do you like to listen to? Do you have any favorites?
1: Mm, well you know I used to listen to Hal's podcast, which is the Achieve Your Goals podcast, which is a really good podcast. I've actually been on that podcast, so it's a really great podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that one is the one I listen to. You know, I'm not into podcasts as much as I am into YouTubers that I mm-hmm. really like and as much as I'm into listening to audiobooks. So that's that's what I like to do in my spare time is like listen to certain YouTubers and listen to audiobooks. Not so much podcasts, so sorry, I just how oh,
0: that's in. okay. I I just, I, I walk and I run sometimes, so I'll just make sure I have a podcast on. It just fits my lifestyle, but I understand. So who are some of the YouTubers? Does, uh, does anyone just stand out that you think could uh, be a benefit to us?
1: Hmm. Um, well, I mean, Russell Brand, you guys know about, of course. I, I like Russell Brand because he's so raw. And if you ever get on his Zooms, he has free Zoom. Like, you can jump on a Zoom call with Russell. Like, of course, mm-hmm. four or five hundred people show up, but you can just jump on Zoom calls with him for free. And so he's mm-hmm. just so real. Like, that guy has done so much work on himself. It's just really inspiring to hear how he talks about okay. very deep subjects and who he interviews. So I guess Russell Brand would probably be someone I listen to every day. Um, yeah, I would probably say he's a good guy to listen to for this group.
0: Okay, thank you. Um, Okay. You say when you facilitate conversations in the addiction world, you realize that people come up with much better answers together than what we could come up with alone. What types of things have come out of these collective experiences that you've had? I know you just shared one about, you know, just the title of your book, but what types of questions, conversations should I be having with moms in my group to help you on this mission of, you know, coming up together with these collective um, thoughts and experiences and ways that we can help in the addiction world.
1: Well, so one of the big gaps that we have in addiction recovery is we're not asking conversations with people who are affected by addiction recovery mm-hmm. or in addiction recovery, and we certainly don't do it in a way where people feel safe to do so. So one of my big missions is to help people to have conversations worth having in an environment where they feel safe to share from their heart, share the truth. Even if they share trauma, they'd be safe in that environment. So this is my whole mission as, as my whole mission is to do this one thing is to create safe places for all voices to be heard and for hearts to awaken. That's literally my mission. And how do you do that? It's not hard, I've I've done it with you, Michelle, I do it all over, and it's just about scaling that and collaborating with people to get that out there. But the world doesn't always want what you have in your heart. Sometimes the world wants to keep the status quo, wants to say the same storyline over and over and over again. We need to disrupt these storylines and start talking about people who are in recovery that can help and to bring out new solutions and new ways of living and long-term recovery and not just keep people in this stuck cycle yeah. that we're stuck in now. 90,000 people overdose and died in the last year. It was the greatest tragedy yeah. of probably of all time. 90,000 just from overdose. I'm not talking about alcohol. I'm not talking, I mean, this is the, these numbers are getting way out of control. Yeah. So how are we going to, are we just gonna keep doing the same thing we're doing? Okay, we'll just go to AA. We'll just go do psychotherapy. We'll just That's not working. No, yeah. we need to disrupt it. We need to start to get people to the table. We need new television networks. We need new newspapers. We need to start to disrupt at the highest levels to say, hey, let's have conferences and, and even discussions online where we bring huge amounts of people to the table and someone facilitates it professionally and they're able to create a safe space for the needle to start moving. And this is the work that I do and this is the work that I help others to do is to become a facilitator, a master facilitator to be able to create those conversations worth having. And so that's really my highest task is how do I, you know, get my voice out and get others' voices out who can who can do this. And to because here's the thing is we may think we have all the answers, just like the government thinks they have all the answers, and the bureaucracies and companies and the leaders at the very top think they have all the answers. They don't. The answers come from the people. So by crowdsourcing the voices of the people, we get solutions that we never could have imagined by taking three people at the top saying, I think this is what we'll do for all these people. Yeah. So, right. so these are the new paradigms, the grassroots movements that from the bottom up that we talk to the people. How do you think I wrote my book? I crowdsource thousands of people at treatment centers and sober living homes and in recovery and professionals and entrepreneurs in recovery to be able to write this book. So. That's how I think is a better way to approach things instead of going, wow, I have all the answers. I'm so smart. How about I go to the people and ask them, what do you think recovery is like? What what helps you when you wake up in the morning? How do you stay sober? And you know what? They don't go, oh, I just go to Alcox Anonymous. No, they have 50 different things that they do. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that. It's so holistic this approach to recovery. And so that's what we need to stop to uplift. What are all the holistic ways people find recovery? What are all the ways people heal, deal with pain, deal with trauma? And all we've got to do is ask them, right. it's that simple. But we don't do that. We go to the no. white suits, the professionals, yes. don't talk. It's like, no, that's failing. We need to now go to the people. We right. need to, so that's, well, that's my two cents. <laughs>
0: thank you. Oh my gosh, it was so inspirational because you know, I can visualize, I can see, you know, facilitating like, you know, your exchange meetings where there's just all these hundreds of people on a Zoom call. And wouldn't it be awesome if they were all those who were um, struggling with trauma and addiction of some sort that could come together crowdsourcing and give us the information that we need, right? I mean, I can see it, I can feel it, it's, it's what we need. Um, And so like last week, just, I, I can only start where I'm at right now. And last week I was, I've been trying to help my moms learn new ways to ask the questions to their addicted loved ones, to stop, to be curious and just listen to where they are, where they're coming from and what they're dealing with from more of an empathetic than a a fix it point of view. Right. And, um, sometimes I think your safe place. They must not feel safe talking to us because so many of them won't open up to us.
1: Yeah. I mean, so people who you have to meet people where they're at, right? So if you have someone who's two weeks away from fentanyl or two weeks away from crystal meth or two, you're not gonna be able to get them in a safe setting to be able to talk to them where they're gonna be able to share their whole life story with you. However, if I get 10 of those people together and I show up as myself and do that in a group, that's in a circle, that's a safe space, I okay. share a little bit of my story first and then, I, and then I use the choreographies to create the safety, I will get them talking but that is not something that anyone can just do. That's something that takes some training and it does take this trauma-informed approach where you know how to handle the trauma that's gonna be shared. People know, you might look at someone and go, oh, they're a poor, poor person, they're an addict, stuff. So that person is very smart, very intuitive, and very, and can sense energy, and can sense when it's safe. So okay. people know intuitively when it's safe, so it's not always easy. And by the way, you can't always create safety for the whole group. That's another thing. Sometimes people, no matter how much you try, won't feel safe to share, but you can make sure that every voice gets heard every single time in every single workshop and event you run. That's what I can guarantee, is every voice is heard every single time. And there's so there's ways to do that. And it's as simple as saying, is doing this. Um, I can go into a group, any group, anywhere in the world, and say, hey, uh, it's so great to be here. Nice, nice to see you all. Um, hey, here's what I want to do right now. I want you to take a moment, grab a pen. So obviously, you want to make sure they have a pen and something to write on. Be like, hey, I want you to just answer this question for me. Why is it important for you to be here today? Why are you here? And they could be sitting in a treatment center. They could be sitting in a conference hall. They could be sitting in a church. I'm just asking the question. Why is it important for you to be here today? Why, why did you show up? That's it it's a purpose question and let them write that down. And some people might write, oh, because like this group saved my life or because I heard that you might have something to share in this, or, you know, I've had depression today and I just wanted to sit in this group and they're going to write down all different responses. And then what do you do is you go, all right, in just a moment, I'm going to put you into pairs. See what I did right there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put you into pairs. You know what happens then? Every voice gets heard. Every voice gets heard. And even if, when we bring them back to the group again, if, pe- if not everyone shares out to the larger group, that's not the point. The point is everyone got to share. Even if they got into that pair and they just shared, I'm having a really tough day. And that's all they had to share. Their voices were heard. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's not hard. We just don't know how. And so it's really just a matter of a few shifts and a few ways to, to create these You know, I actually do a whole training on psychological safety and all this stuff. And so I do it within other communities. I do it with professional recovery coaches. I do it with exchange because it's so important that we do this because I've gone, you just imagine me going into 28 day treatment centers, Mm -hmm. sober living homes and drug courts, the amount of trauma that gets shared when people are sharing in the report outs a lot. Mm -hmm. So you have to really know how do you handle that? And that's Mm -hmm. kind of the thing that I've started to become really efficient at and teaching others and how to do that. Because if you don't do that correctly, you can cause more trauma.
0: Oh, no pressure. Right. But from an empath, you know, you're an empath and knowing that you do that and you've learned to do that is really powerful to me to hear because, you know, sometimes we, um, when we hear the trauma, it's difficult not to wear it and to absorb it. But um, you've, you've learned how to um, def- not deflect that because you do care, but to help them feel safe enough to share it. But at the same time, you don't feel like it's your responsibility to do anything
1: more. Yeah, yeah. I could go into this pretty deep, but yeah. Yeah, we'll we won't keep do that. Today. It there. <laughs>
0: okay. So, um, all right. I just want to share again um, where you can find jesse's book and um probably at amazon and barnes and noble right maybe apple and google
1: well right now the new book is just on amazon for now and then okay. i'm i'm working to um it, it, i'm a self-published author so there's ways to get your book on amazon and other i mean on uh, barnes and nobles and i haven't done that yet so right now it's just on amazon yep. okay
0: well, I should serve you and do that for you because I know how to do that. That is one thing I know. So but but I have had people ask me, is he gonna do the audio book? And you tell me yes. Are you going to narrate that all yourself or have you started?
1: Yep. May 8th and 9th. I'm gonna go into the studio and I'm gonna record the book. And so the book, the audio it takes a time. It's it's a tedious editing process. So probably by I would say June 1st, hopefully, is wow. the audio book.
0: Yeah. And where'd you find the studio to do that?
1: Well, so I recorded my first audiobook at a studio in Massachusetts, so I'm going to go back to that studio because I felt safe there. I felt really good about it, and this book is double the first book, so I definitely need to. Wow. It's going to be a marathon, so I, I just I wanted to go back to the same studio in Massachusetts.
0: Okay, yeah, because it's familiar too. And and just so you guys know, um, the other book that I read of Jesse's was, it's I'm sorry, Jesse, something about a cold
1: shower. Um, I know that's not the title, but we. Well, it's, it's called Smash Your Comfort Zone with Cold Showers. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's where I was, right. We're all at different places. If I met you four years ago, are you the same person you were four years ago? Yeah, no, No, of course oh not. God. So four years ago, I was into the, and I still take cold showers now, but I, that's where I was. My mindset was into that mindset of like, Oh, I got to go, go, go Tony Robbins and get the cold oh. shower. So like, I wrote a book about it cause it, it relieved my anxiety. It took away the final, the final severe anxiety that, that I couldn't leave the house. It went away when I started using cold therapy. So that's why I wrote a book about it.
0: So mom's just, yeah, he wrote the book about taking a cold shower. And I have to tell you, there's probably not a week that goes by where I don't try to um, turn my shower cold and see and and feel the invigorating sensation of what that can do for me um, in the course of a day. So it was very inspirational also. So if it's okay, Jesse, um, can I ask moms to unmute and ask any questions they have right now I, I do you have a hard yes, stop
1: no no i'm good yeah i'm, I'm happy to stick around I, I love Q a so yeah please.
0: So um, go ahead moms if you have a question for Jesse to unmute.
2: Hi, Jesse. Hello. So glad that you're here. Thank you for being here. Even though I missed the middle of that, I will go back and and listen to it again. But I, I text or I chatted with uh, Michelle. Um, my son had set up a or we had set up a video visit uh, for him. He is waiting to be released from prison. So just any day now. But I uh, set that up and uh that's fantastic. So I'm, I'm thinking that maybe he may need to talk with you <laughs> 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 or uh, I don't know how that would come about. So um, how would he go about doing that? He's going to be in a 90 day um, uh, transitional house. Yep. So,
1: I mean, yeah, it's, it's, he could just send me um, an email. That's probably the best way Just send me an okay. email and yeah. Or, or just connect to me on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. I, okay. I respond to all my DMs on Instagram and Facebook that are not okay. trying to scam me, <laughs> which is some of them, but mm. yeah, just yeah. have them um, email okay. me or yeah, my email, um, is Jesse at com. So just
2: Jesse uh, at, and then your name. Yep. Dot com. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I purchased your book this morning. So I'm looking forward to reading that. Love
0: you'll love it, you'll yeah. be inspired. We're gonna be pumped up moms.
1: Oh, if we, not are. You, then we you. are, we <laughs> are. I'm,
2: I'm excited for this next step.
1: So- oh, Thanks so much for your support.
2: Yeah, yeah, see, I'm already doing that. was that one <laughs> of the steps there? Yes. Mm-hmm. doing. Yeah. Part of my recovery team, is that right? Or focus, right?
1: Yep, yep, focus on your recovery, build your recovery team or your tribe or your dream team. Or something right, like right. Team, we're
0: we're doing that. It. We have been we doing, we. doing that. So Maybe we should read the book for um, May and the, mm-hmm. the group and then talk about the F-E-A-R and then the self-care too. That, that's an idea. So think about that. Yeah, that's a uh,
2: great idea.
3: Thank you for sharing, Jesse. I appreciate you being here. Um, some of your book suggestions, your book, of course, um, but my son... You remind me a lot of my son in that he is a deep empath and he um, really used alcohol to numb a lot of that. Had some trauma that we weren't aware of and um, takes everything in. Saw things all through his young life with people going on around him that others missed. And so um, I want to purchase some of these books not only for me, but for him to because he needs to learn how to channel that to use that. Um, And I just think that some of the suggestions you have here will be really good for him. He's growing, he's um, almost a year sober and in recovery. Um, And so thank you very much for the work that you're doing to help others like him um, truly recover and and grow to be who God created him to be. So thank you so much. Mm
1: thank you and thank you for sharing that and and, um yeah i'm so grateful you said that is because a lot of people in addiction i think it's a really high percentage are highly sensitive people and we don't learn about that um that's not taught so one of my goals is my next book is to write the book empath and recovery so i already reached out I reached out to Judith Orloff about it. She's like the famous person um, who talks about empaths, but she didn't want to, cause she's too busy to help co-write it. Cause I wanted to write it with her, but she's just too busy. So I'm at, just like anything, we just got to do it ourselves. So I, right. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> That's exciting because it, we, we have talked about that a lot. He and I are a lot alike and we've had lots, he's a, he is a really good communicator. And we've had a lot of conversations about that but it's hard for me to know exactly how to, to channel that with him. Um, And so I'm, I'm really anxious for him to read your book and to read these books and to think about, he's, he's actually thinking about how he can serve in the recovery industry and how he can, how he can work there. And I don't know if that's how God will lead him or where that will go, but um, he has a huge heart for people that, um have had the same struggles that he has had like he's really enjoying living in the sober living home that he's in um because he they get him they understand him and he understands them and so um it'll it will be fun to see how god uses him
1: that's great yeah i I think he
0: feels safe and understood there too yeah Mm -hmm. and i i totally think he's ready andy to read and, and to be inspired by people like Jesse and then get in, get into some of his online, you know, exchange meetings or, you know, just he can learn. You can learn so much, like Jesse said, with having a mentor and finding somebody that you really um, love their method, like it works for you and connect with them. And wow, just I, this is this has just been great. Um,
3: yes. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you.
0: Brooke, did you have any questions for Jesse? I'm putting her on the spot.
3: I do appreciate you being here. I just wondered if you had any advice for people who are, who love someone who's in an active addiction.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, um, the best example I can give you is my brother. He's 50 years old he used from 17 to 47 and he i watched him i mean i sat in recovery and just watched him destroy himself with drugs and alcohol and going to jail and all this stuff and and uh he knew where to go and that's all i can recommend for you is make sure that you just keep feeding compassion love and doing the work on yourself so that when he's ready he's going to come to a safe person and say I'm ready now what do you can you help me and if he doesn't feel that way he won't he'll go someplace else so that's what I recommend is just continue to feed yourself fill your own cup fill your own cup so that when he's ready he will come and so my brother that's what I did for him I never pressured him at all I let him I mean he made he, he blew his life up and I didn't do I there's nothing I could do about that that was his choice he knew where to go and I never pressured him when he was ready he came to me and then he relapsed for a year And was gone again and then he came back and now he has almost two years of recovery Mm -hmm. so he's he's now almost two years so that that's 30 years so you know i'm not saying it's going to take that long because we are in a whole new age which is beautiful things are happening very fast now it's very exciting but that's what i did as i held the space for him i took care of myself and he knew where to go and he came to me and I helped, and then he was on his own because once they come to you, they're going to just ask a few things and they're going to find their way. So he found his way, but I was there to at least give him some groundwork.
3: The pressure, the pressure that I feel right now is, is very real. Eight of his friends died last week. That's eight oh. of overdoses. So it's, it feels like a lot of pressure. It's heavy on my heart very often.
1: Well, I, you know, where do you live? Where do you live? I live in Maryville, Tennessee. Okay. So right now, there's something happening that has never happened before. And it started in 2015. And it's fentanyl. Fentanyl has came along. And now it's inside of cocaine, heroin. They're putting it in all the drugs now. So that's a serious thing. But here's the thing even there's there's if your son can you know find something that will help him to connect to himself or something greater than himself meaning finding a meeting online in therooms.com in therooms.com he might he might resonate with a meeting that has to do with something you never would have even expected. not aa not ha not ca it could be something completely other than those because there's all different types of meetings on there. Also, there could be a local... How old is your son?
3: He's 31.
1: Okay. So my one of my best friends is 31, and uh, he actually lives in the same condo unit as me. And uh, he was in seven psych wards. He was in 11 treatment centers. And now he's six years in recovery. He has two rap albums, and he's re- doing really <laughs> well. And I want to let you know that there's hope. And like he was in a really hopeless state. So you know, I wish I could say like, this is what you need to do. But I can tell you that he can always reach out to me. If he wanted to reach out to me, I'm always open. He could reach out to me. Um, But he will find where he lives. There is a group of people who are staying in recovery that he would resonate with. He just probably doesn't know that exists, because there's a lot of stereotypes about you know, meetings and the way recovery is, but there's amazing young people in recovery. So let's just use the term woke, so intuitive, doing major things in recovery. And, um, it just, we just don't know that because the news doesn't cover that story. Papers don't cover that story, but there's thousands of people who are at that age in recovery. And it's, like I said, my best friend is that age. So, um, and he's and so yeah so you know keep taking care of yourself but let him know like you know hey you know check out because i wish i could say to you here's 14 authors like me who have written this book they no we have to be the ones that inspire them people don't even know they can do the thing that i did i knew it because i had people who are entrepreneurial i had no idea i could write my own book do it all myself so now i want to help others but your son just haven't hasn't seen that society of young people who are in recovery who are doing it their own way. They're not just using AA, they're using all different ways and it's very beautiful to see it. My best friend, he doesn't go to AA. You know what he does? He does a lot of things, but he's into a, he's he's into astrology, he's into yoga, he's into rap. So he actually is a positive, he's a um a high con- he's a conscious rapper. So he writes lyrics And that is part of his recovery. He also has a recovery team. I'm on that team. But he doesn't go to meetings. He doesn't. He's he's one of the smartest. He's a Gemini. He's one of the smartest or most articulate people I've ever met in my life. And he doesn't go to meetings. So we can't put people in boxes and say, you have to go to the meeting. It's like, no, they don't. They just have to find their tribe that they vibe with. And they can do it. So, so this is the revolution that it needs to start to happen here with recovery. It's not just about going to meetings that were created in 1936. It's about what's mm-hmm. happening today in this new age that we're in. Do meetings work for people? Oh, of course they do. I went for 15 years. I know all about them. I got the t-shirt. I did every process. I, did, I worked the steps harder than most people could ever dream of but I did it because I thought I had to because I didn't know there was another way. I didn't know any other way. So I would just do what I was told. And then it became an ego. You start to develop a spiritual ego in those halls and I could go. So there's a lot of places I can go, but I'm just letting you know that there is hope and there's people his age. He could reach out to me. He could reach out to my friend, you know, and there's definitely people in Tennessee now. I don't know people personally, but I know there's definitely a young group of young people, Sober people that are that age in Tennessee and where you live, um, they're just, they're sort of in hiding, but they're doing that intentionally because they didn't even know they could come out to play and and be part of society because society stigmatizes them. So we stay really quiet because Mm -hmm. I don't now because I've lost too many people close to me, but there's, there's many people who are just, it's like a secret society because we can't come out and play because we'll lose our job will get stigmatized.
0: Right, they think the risk is too great. Yes. Jesse, you are the chief hope builder (laughs) of the day. Oh my goodness, I could cry. So that's what I call myself, right? Is I'm the chief hope builder, but you just gave Brooke a whole nother level of hope for Micah. And Brooke, I just want to say that everything Jesse recommended that you do, you are doing. You are loving Micah. And um, you're you're reaching out and letting him know that every day. And he knows that. Um, I, I'm sure we all have to go. I got to run another meeting. And Jesse, I'm sure that you have other things. But I, I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart and from all of us. Um, and I know that moms in the group, Moms Letting Go, will be inspired by this interview. Um, and I, I look forward to connecting with you more on elevating my recovery and growing um, hopefully with you as a mentor. This was just, you really inspired me. So thank you so
1: much. Michelle, thank you. You're a huge inspiration to me, of course, since we first met. And thank you for allowing me this space and asking the questions that you did. This was by far the best interview I've ever done. So thank you for actually reading my book and bringing the quotes out of my book. No one's done that before. So thank you. And thank you all for holding the space and, you know, definitely reach out. If you feel like you need to, to reach out about, you know, a family member, a friend, reach out, I'll do my best to help, but I'm also willing to send a book out, signed, like whatever you need to, to bring a little bit extra hope. Just let me know you know, this is my life. I left a whole career. That's a whole nother story to do this. So
0: yeah. you know, and
1: you'll, you'll hear about that story though, in the book, right? Yes, yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
0: cool.
1: Thank you so much. All <laughs> right. Thank you, everyone.
0: Thank,
3: Thank you, you, Jesse. God bless. Bless you.